Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. We're in a series called Asking for a Friend. We're asking the tough questions. Maybe you never asked them out loud and you don't know how to, so you're like, I'm asking for a friend. How does this work? We're looking at the toughest questions of faith and spirituality. And this week may not be the toughest, but it may be the most raw for you. It may be, I I may dig up some stuff. Here's the question for today. Asking for a friend, will I get hurt again? Will I get hurt again? Today, we're talking about betrayal. Betrayal on a small scale, meaning I had a friend betray me, a spouse betray me, the church betray me, and also betrayal on a larger scale, meaning the church has done some bad things. Some church leaders, some people in the name of Christ have done things like war, slavery, some huge evils. How do we justify that? How do we talk about that? Because sometimes the world looks at us crazy. And I know people, they they keep the church at an arm's length because they say, I can't be a part of that group. That group has done some evil. That group has either supported evil or not spoken up against that evil. I can't associate myself with that church, with the church, with Christianity. What do we say about that? How do we respond in these situations? That's what we're going to explore today. But sometimes the church, uh, not the church, the world looks at us like we're crazy. They really do. There's something weird about me I want to share with you. I don't know if I can do this as a pastor, but no one's told me not to, so I'm going to keep doing it until someone says stop. I like scary movies. Does anybody else like them? A few people are honest in the house today. You like them. Does anybody have Netflix? Netflix has a lot of scary movies, if you haven't noticed. And there's a new one called The Silence. Has anyone seen The Silence? If not, I'm going to spoil it for you right now. I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to tell you all about I'm going to tell you all about the silence. It stars these people are hiking. They're climbing. They're, they're spelunking. They're exploring caves, which starts with this. It tells you cardio, you should know, is already a bad idea. Shouldn't even started there. This whole story, this whole horror story, never would have happened if people would have played video games, okay? Or gone and lifted some weights and not cardio. But I'm just saying, they're climbing in the caves and they're exploring and they get to the end of the cave. This is how, they, this is how you do in a cave. I don't know why, but this is how you walk, I guess. And they get to the end of the cave and I don't know how they know this, but it's important to the plot. So follow along with me. They get to the end of the cave and they say, on the other side of this wall, There's a huge cave system and it's been sealed off for millions of years and we just discovered it and we're going to go explore it. It's a bad idea. (laughs) So these idiots, I mean, these people, they get their little pickaxe and they, and they open it and they're like, Ooh, this is really cool. And then they hear something they hear. And they're like, what is that? And all of a sudden out of the cave, a million little, little monsters come out. They're kind of like bats. They're kind of like little pterodactyl things. They're little monsters. They don't have eyes. They can't see. That's pretty creepy, but they can hear really well. And if you talk, they will eat your face and you will die. That's how it goes. It's that simple. Some of y'all, it's your first time at this church and you're like, what is going on? What have I got myself into? So the whole movie, this group, they're trying to survive and they're trying to make it. And the, and the, the whole, whole United States is in a downfall. Planes are crashing. People are dying. It's a complete nightmare. It's scary and spooky. And then you find out that's not the real bad guy. You think the little monster who will eat your face is the bad guy. That's not the real bad guy. At the end of the movie, we meet the true villain who we're all supposed to hate. And you know what his name is? The Reverend. I was like, really, Netflix? 
on, man. At the end, and he's just creepy. Look at the creepy reverend. Just look at that dude. Some, some of y'all are going to the oceanfront today. If that dude comes up to you, you're out. Peace. I don't need a sunshine. I don't need a tan. It ain't worth it. Nothing's worth it. Look at that just creepy smile. It's so weird. He gives me the heebie-jeebies, but he's the bad guy. I don't know if he's a church leader or a cult leader, but what's fascinating culturally, okay, I'm being serious right now. I know you don't think I am. I am. But this is something our society can relate to. Netflix knew if we put a creepy church guy in this story, people will relate. They'll say, look, The church, sometimes we can't trust the church. Let's insert this guy in the story, make him the bad guy, and everyone can relate. I hate that, but that's the reality. Because a lot of you have been hurt by the church. You've been betrayed by a church leader. A church leader you trusted made you a promise and didn't keep it. A church leader you trusted had an affair, stole money, did something crazy. Um, These are real things, and this is very very difficult. Maybe it wasn't a church leader. Maybe someone in the name of Christianity had done something. How do we respond? What do we do? These are tough questions. Let's answer them together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll kick this bad boy off. Father God, we come to you with hard questions. I ask you to meet us where we are. I ask you to uh, illuminate our minds and our hearts as we honestly want to seek you. But God, there's so many things we look at and we say, can I be a part of a religion? Can I be a part of a group that has done evil? What are we going to do? We love you, God. We ask for answers in your presence. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Here's how it's going to go. You're going to be at the beach or a cookout or the bar somewhere, and someone's going to say, I see you go to a scent. You check in. Uh, you got the magnet. I see you go there. That's cool, but I could never go to church. And you'll say, why? And they'll say, well, the cr- Christianity has been a part of some crazy things. War, slavery, conflict. I can't be a part of that. I can't be a part of this belief system. It just doesn't work. That's a tough answer. Because in the moment, you're like, I don't, all those things are awful. I don't know what to say about that. Let's be logical. Can we be logical a second? Let's be logical. You're saying the group I'm a part of, this belief system has done some bad things, so I should get out of it and be in a different one. That's kind of what you're implying. Fine. Let's do that. Let's suppose we all say, you're right. Church has done bad things. I'm out. I'm not going to believe in God. I'm going to be in this other group. I'm going to be an atheist, agnostic. I'm going to go the other way. Cool. That's fine. Okay. Let's look at their track record because Christian's track record is not perfect. Let's look at the other one, shall we? Let's be logical. Let's be logical here. Atheistic regimes, self-declared atheists between 1917 and 2007, killed 148 million people, murdered by 52 atheistic leaders, self-pronounced. This is three times more than everyone killed by war, civil war, and individual crime in the entire 20th century combined. Now, we can't wrap our head around that number. Can we show that 148 million? 148 is difficult to imagine. 148,000 is difficult to imagine. 148 million is just unfathomable. Our brains don't have the capacity to process that. I saw a dead sea turtle on the beach one time and it wrecked me. I, you know, you can't, we can't wrap our heads around it. We're like, sea turtle makes me sad. You can't think of one person, let alone 148 million. We don't have the capacity for it. We can't do it. Let's keep going. The historical record of collective atheism is thus 182,716 times worse on an annual basis than Christianity's worst misdeed the Spanish Inquisition. So someone might try to say, okay, the world has done bad things, but Christianity has done too. Yes, that's true, but it's not even close. It's not even comparable. It's not like 
The church is here and the world is there. It's pretty much, no, 182,000 times worse. It's not two times worse or three times or four times. It's not even comparable. Yes, the church has done bad things, but the alternative is not exactly bright. Anthony DeStefano wrote Inside the Atheist Mind. He said, look, the main reasons for war have always been economic gain, territorial gain, civil and revolutionary conflicts. These are things that the Bible unconditionally condemns. It condemns racism. It condemns slavery. It condemns all this stuff, if you're reading it properly. So for you to say, I can't be a part of this group because evil has been done, whoever did those evils in the name of Christianity, they're not doing it the right way. They're totally twisting it and altering it and jacking up the numbers, jacking up the figures. According to Philip Axelrod's, that's a cool name, Axelrod. I'm a little jealous. My last name's Lane. Can we clap for Axelrod? Do we have one here? I hope we do. I want to meet you. That's a diesel name. According to Mr. Axelrod's, I can't stop saying it, monumental book, Encyclopedia of Wars. That's a cool book. He would write that. Only 6.9, sorry, 6.98% of all wars, 7% of wars from 8,000 BC to present were religious in nature. That means over 93% of all the wars on the planet are due to worldly reasons. Here's what I'm saying and here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying atheists are bad. No, no, no. I know so many atheists or agnostics or people of other religions. They're kind people. They're sweet people. They're gentle people. I'm not saying Christian's good, atheist bad. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if you're going to use Christian, Christian misdeeds of the past to reject the group, to reject the faith, that argument is completely bankrupted. If you look at the numbers. Are we doing that? Are we looking at the numbers or are we looking at our emotions and our feelings? The church has done some bad things. Big picture, small picture. The church has done some bad things. And I've had some church leaders do some bad things to me. Gossip, run their mouth, um, be rude. Um, Even when we were planting the church, there's big betrayals, there's little betrayals. Our church is only a year and a half old, but something, it stings, man. It hurts, man. To your neighbor, it hurts. If you've been betrayed by someone you trust, it hurts. It don't feel good. It don't feel good. I had some, I had a friend right before we launched, we went to lunch. And you know what? I bought him a barbecue sandwich. Anybody like Mission Barbecue? You get all types of sauces. You can have as many as you want. That junk is amazing. I bought him a barbecue sandwich. And he said, I'm going to help you launch. And it was a good barbecue sandwich. It was piled high. He said, I want to help you launch. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to set up, tear down. I said, I like that. I like the sound of that. He hadn't shown up yet. That is funny. And deep down, I feel a little betrayed because I'm like, was it something I said? Did you not like my shirt or my sermons that bad? Like, what was the sandwich cold? Like, what, what was it? And that doesn't seem, it was not the sauce stop it. It does not seem like that big of a deal, but it, these little things hurt. They sting. I had a friend one time, he said, look, I'm going to help. I'm going to give some money. I said, that's great, because when we opened, we had nothing. No money, no people, no staff. He said, I want to give $5,000 to us. That, I, I heard $5 million. $5,000 to a new church is literally like unfathomable. I was like, oh man, we could do so much stuff with that. Um, hasn't come yet. Maybe it's in the mail. I don't know. And you may be saying, you're just being spiteful. I, listen, that hurt. When someone looks you in the eye and they make a promise, who's a friend, who's trusted, it hurts if it doesn't come through. It hurts. 
My wife, she grew up, her dad was a pastor, and she almost didn't want to do what we're doing today because her dad was mistreated. He had people talk bad about him at his churches, run their mouth. She said, I don't know if I want that to happen to my husband. These betrayals sting. They cut deep. Let's not look at the rotten eggs. Let's take a second. There's billions of Christians. Let's take a second and not look at the few stinkers, the few rotten eggs. Let's look at the life of Jesus himself. May we do that? Let's see how he acts when he's betrayed. Let's see how we should treat those who betray us or who harm us, or if we have difficulty trusting them. Let's do that. We're going to look at a famous story. This is when Jesus was arrested. When he's arrested, he's about to be, he knows what's going on. He's about to be tortured and executed and his followers scattered. It's going to be a dark time. It's going to be a dark time. Sometimes when the pressure's on, it reveals some things in your heart that you didn't know were there. Ever travel with kids? And you're hungry, and they're hungry, and it's hot, and the AC's kind of working, and everyone's mad, and you just lose it. And you're like, I didn't know I had it. I didn't in me. I need to go to church now, okay? That's sometimes what happens. Let's put the pressure on Jesus. Let's see how he responds. Let's pray at first, and then we'll dig in. Father God, we ask you um, to help us through betrayals. We've been betrayed, big, small, by the church, by friends, by family. We ask for your grace and um, your love in this moment. Walk us through this. How do we be in the Christian community in betrayals? How do we forgive others? Help us address these questions today. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. We're going to John 18, chapter one. John was, is a book written by a guy named John who was very, very close to Jesus. This is an early account of Jesus's life, teachings, death, and resurrection. Follow along in your Bible or your phone or right up here on the screen. John 18, one. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. The other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. You heard garden, you vegans got excited. You said, maybe it's a kale garden. It's not, I hate to let you down. There's no kale mentioned. The word Gethsemane means olive press. They went into an olive garden. Jesus literally took his followers to Olive Garden (laughs) the night before. He said, we need some breadsticks. We need to fuel up. Soup and salad, hashtag breadsticks for days, okay? Maybe Carabas wasn't around yet. I would have chosen Carabas. That's just me. That's just me. Amen. Amen. You can't spell Carabas without carbs. Amen. Amen. Verse two, y'all are crazy. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew this place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Somebody say, that's cold. That's cold. Judas said, I know where we can find Jesus by himself. I know where he prays. I know where he does quiet time. Let's get him. Because Jesus had thousands of people following him all the time. Jesus, I mean, Judas couldn't just show up with thousands of people around Jesus and take him away. They needed to get him by himself. This is the equivalent of someone close to you, a dear friend or coworker coming to you while you're having your quiet time, right on your Folgers is in your cup. You're having quiet time. You're reading your Bible and, and, and someone kicks down your door and arrests you. That's cold. That's the equivalent of being at the gym. I don't know why you do this, but you're doing cardio and you got your headphones in and you're listening to the podcast or watching YouTube and someone taps you on the, on the shoulder and it's the police and they carry you out. That's cold. Judas knew when he was at his weakest and he exploited it. We have all been betrayed. And that's why it hurts so bad because, because the, those intimate details is really what twists the knife. That trust 
is betrayed. It cuts so deep. We've all been betrayed, maybe not by the church yet. And I pray to God, it's never this church, but maybe, maybe you've been betrayed by a friend or an ex-spouse or a coworker or a sports team. Is anyone New York Giants fans? I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. I'm sorry. I love you. My Giants friends are upset about the draft. I'm going to pray for you. You feel a little betrayed. It's okay. We're going to make it through together, but especially by the church. Here's what the church I think is legendary for now. It's the thing I call burnout. Somebody say burnout. The church right now is really good at getting a leader and burning them out. Essentially getting a leader and saying, what gifts can I extract from you? What resources can I take from you? How can I have you lead a group and be in a group and help a a student group and serving kids and set up and tear down and give money and volunteer with the homeless and do all that because you leave them this little pulp. You chew them up and spit them out. Sometimes we as a church, I think we're so excited about growing, we neglect the care of people. And we're so excited about what can you do for us? We don't ask, what can we do for you? That's a problem. That's a serious problem. One of the ways to get coal from a mountain is a thing called strip mining. And it's the fastest way, it's the easiest way, it's the cheapest way, but it leaves nothing but devastation in its wake. Look Look at strip mining right here. This right on my side has been strip mined. The stuff in the back is what it looked like beforehand. You see a difference. That's how some of your souls feel right now. It was green. It was lush. You like to go to church. You like to spend time there. You live there practically. You enjoyed it. But then, but then you had more and more and more and the passion died and you're burned up. You're, you're, you've been chewed up and you've been spit out. This is a sustainable farm. It's in Virginia Beach. I forgot what it's called, so you're going to have to forgive me. But doesn't that look better? Is that kale? I don't know, but it looks healthy. It looks like a rabbit's food. Doesn't that just look better? Now, this is slower. It's sustainable. It takes a long time, but that's what we want to do at this place. I've been burned out. A lot of my leaders have been burned out. A lot of people in leadership here have been burned out. So what we do, if, if, if you're in the crowd right now thinking, I want to serve, I want to commit, but I don't want to get hurt again, I want you to know we're going to take it slow. You always determine how often you serve. If that's every week, if it's every other, if it's once a month, you make that call. Some of you aren't ready yet. You need to heal first. I understand that, and I respect that. We always have an opportunity for you to come to service. We will never ask you to just serve both services and miss something. No, 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 we're not doing that. Because you have to be poured into if you have anything to give and to pour out. The church has abused people in regard to burnout. The church has abused people in regard to trust issues. Some of you have been taken advantage of. Someone stole money. Someone had an affair you trusted. Someone lied to you or cheated or stole or did something. I think the reason this is so hard, if I can be honest, is because when it comes to church, our expectations of leaders is unreasonably high. Of course you should respect church leaders. Of course you should. But deep down, sometimes in our soul, we have a boss or a church leader or a mentor. And deep down, we're like, they ain't going to mess up. You don't even fathom it. That's not even on the radar. So if and when they do, it hurts all the worse. You feel not only disappointed, you feel hurt, betrayed, cut to the core. You don't know what to do anymore. We have all been betrayed. And I came to tell you, if you have been betrayed, you can lean on him. 
Jesus Christ knows exactly how you feel, exactly what you're going through. If you've been betrayed by a loved one or by a spouse or by a neighbor or a coworker or a boss or anyone, you don't have to think of God as a million miles away on a cloud looking down right a nose saying, dear you who have been betrayed, that really sucks. That's not what God's doing. No, no, he's next to you. He's with you. His arms around you. He wants to wipe away every single tear from your eye. Your God knows what it's like to be betrayed by someone he loved, by someone close to him. We have a high priest who can relate and connect to our weaknesses, and that is Jesus Christ. Verse 3, so Judas came to the olive garden. Yeah, we're going to say that guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Oh my, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? I love that line. John's reminding us, Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him. He knew it was coming. If I can be honest, let me just be real. People are going to let you down. The church is going to let you down. But knowing deep down that that failure is possible makes it easier. It doesn't make it easy. It makes it easier. It makes it easy to swallow. When you realize people are just being people, you don't quit the church. You don't quit the religion. You don't quit the faith because you realize they're just people. They're just people. I'm not saying it makes it easy. It makes it easier. And I'm also not saying to walk around through life expecting everyone to fail you, being afraid to to fall in love again because you think they're just going to let you down, being afraid to commit to church because it's going to happen. So you're keeping everything at an arm's length. That is no way to live life. And that's not what I'm challenging you to do. I'm just saying, don't be surprised when sinners sin. Verse five, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, I am he. Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Who is this? Who fell to the ground? Can I give you some background? Can I give you some theology for a moment? Is that okay? Right on. One person is excited. For you, you're going to get it. Whoever it is, I love you. I'm not even talking to y'all. I'm talking to whoever is in this little little window. I'm just kidding. I love y'all. Who's this group of people? This is about 200 Roman soldiers. These are stormtroopers. These are imperial troops. These are tough, battle-hardened guys. And these people who've seen the wars, who've traveled and fought away from their families, this meek, mild rabbi, carpenter, philosopher says, I'm, I'm him. And they all fall flat. What is going on here? What's happening? We need to figure it out. There's a weird story I want to tell you about. Just follow me for a second. I told you I like scary things. On Halloween, we used to dress like zombies. And we would go all out. We'd get the flashing lights. We'd get a smoke machine. We'd have a cage of zombies. We'd pile up the leaves and crawl through them at kids. It was great. This is my zombie walk. I would say, and I'd come right for those kids. It was great. And we didn't even have good candy either. We'd give them like two, two Skittles. Not two bags of Skittles, like two Skittles. We cut a starburst in half. That's all we got. But we scared them. We scared them real good. And I learned something in these moments. You've seen a horror movie when people are running from the bad guy and they just fall and you say, you idiot. That would never happen. That happens a lot. Because because I had to happen. I would come at a kid like this. It's my yard. I can do what I want. 
I'd be like this. And the kid would see me and kind of be ready. And then my friend, he's taller. He'd get right behind the kid like this as a zombie. And I kind of would point up and the kid would be like, what? The kid would look up and the kids would just fall flat. <laughs> Legs just cease to work. They just go down like a possum or something. They just would fall. And I'm like, it actually happens. I can't believe it happens. Here's why it happens. When we're in the presence of something that's overwhelming, when we're in the presence of something that is greater than us, we fall flat. We fall in the presence of greatness. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus ain't being a zombie. He ain't scaring them. I'm not saying that. But when you're in the presence of something greater than you, that can overwhelm you, that can overpower you, you fall flat. What I want you to see about Jesus is this. Let's pull that scripture back up if we could just for a second. Jesus literally said this, verse six. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now this is translated from Greek. And in the English, it has to say, I am he, or it wouldn't make sense. But in the Greek, he actually only said two words. He said two words. He said, ego a me. He literally, they literally said, um, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus looked him in the eye and he said, I am. And they fell flat. And you're thinking, what? What does that mean? Well, in the scripture, that's the God's, that's God's name. I am. At the burning bush, Moses is at the bush and Moses asked God, he said, God, what is your name? What am I supposed to call you? God said to Moses, call me, I am. Just two words, the simple word to be. When they came to arrest Jesus, they, he, Jesus is flexing a little bit. He's showing his true colors. He's showing who he really is. He says, I am. He's revealing he is fully God, but he's fully man. He's in complete control of the situation and they fell down flat. The point is this, no one can stand in the presence of the Almighty. No one's bragging in the presence of the Almighty. No one's boasting. No one's talking smack. They just fall down flat. This is an aside, but I just need to say this. Here at church, this is what we need based on this text. We need a powerful blend of inspiration and conviction. You got to have both. You need to be inspired. I want to inspire you. People say, oh, T-Lane, that fired me up. That inspired me. I love that. I'm glad. I want you to be motivated and fired up and ready to take on whatever the week has for you. But you also need a little conviction. I didn't say guilting. I said conviction. I want you to leave this place being inspired, but also a little hungry. Also a little, a little bit of saying, man, I need to get in the word more. You know what? God's done so much in my life through this church. I need to start giving. I've never given. Everyone, you know, other people have given so I could be here. I need to do my part. I need to give. You know what? It's time to serve. God's giving me all these gifts. I'm burying them. I'm, I ain't even using my gifts. I didn't say inspired and guilty. I said inspired and convicted. It's like a good workout. Does anybody go to the gym? Does anybody do leg day? Does anybody skip leg day? A few people. They're like, I ain't afraid to admit it. Look at this. They're like, what? what is, I can't really hide it. It's beach season. There's nothing. There's no way to hide it. Um, a good sermon, a good experience at church should feel like a workout. Okay. I, afterward, I want you to be inspired, motivated, fired up, encouraged. But at the same time, at the same time, a little sore. Like you didn't do leg day right if you just walk out like this. Like you got to leave leg day. I'll call it the leg day limp. You leave and you're like, okay, that's a little tight. I'm feeling something in my back. I don't know what I did. I'm, I'm feeling it a little bit. That's why I want you to leave church spiritually encouraged, motivated, fired up about the future, but at the same time, a little convicted. I want you to be, I want you to get stronger, not weaker. And in order to get stronger, in order for all of us to get stronger, we got to have good workouts. 
We got to grind. We got to push through. We got to be challenged. Let's move on. Verse seven. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. He literally says, I told you that I am. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This is the gospel in its purest form. If you're looking for me, let them go. I'm going to go to the cross and die in their place so that they may have freedom, so that they may have connection with God, so that they may feel God's love. He said it right there. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Let's be practical for a minute. When you are betrayed, how should you respond? What should you do? I'm going to give you three things today. The first thing we see from Jesus, when you're betrayed, number one, focus on the big picture. Focus on the big picture. Jesus focuses on the big picture. He's not thinking about his feelings. He's not thinking about his emotions. He's not thinking about anything. He's thinking about scripture. He's saying this is all part of the plan. He's looking at the big picture. And if you have been betrayed by church, I want to tell you, focus on the big picture. God's church is so much bigger than one leader who is flawed. Let me say that again, because some of you have been hurt by a church from your childhood or down the road, and you don't want to come back to church. You say, I'm done. I'm out. God's church is so much bigger than one leader who's flawed, than one leader who dropped the ball, than one leader who made a mistake. I know so many people who've walked away from God, from community, from church, because a Christian leader dropped the ball. They messed up. They messed up big time. But you need to know, God wants to do so much more in you and through you. Don't let that stop. Don't let one person's sin, one person's flaw, stop what God wants to do in your life, what he wants to do through you. You have no idea. If he laid it out to you right now, you would collapse. You would faint. It would boggle your mind. It would knock you down. God doesn't tell you the whole thing. He tells us bits and pieces at a time. You have no idea what he wants to do in your life. Listen, you don't have to stay at that church. I hope this doesn't happen here. But some people feel guilty. They were at a church. They got burned. They left. You don't have to stay there. I'm saying don't leave the church, capital C church. Don't walk away from your faith. Listen, a betrayal might have brought you to this church in the first place. A betrayal may have caused you to reevaluate your calling, your ministry, or your passion. God can work through betrayals. He carried out the salvation of the world as a result of a betrayal. Did you catch that? So if you feel betrayed, if you feel let down by a spouse, by a friend, by a coworker, you have no idea what the next chapter holds. Do you understand this? Don't miss this. A betrayal is what launched the salvation of the world. As right, right here, right here. As this moment, Jesus is arrested, he's tortured, he's killed, you have salvation. And it was something so painful, so dark, so miserable. That's how you might feel right now. You have no idea what God wants to do through. You have no idea. That's if you're betrayed by a church. If you're betrayed by a friend or a lover or a coworker or someone like that, there's just something I got to tell you. Because there has been a time in my life I was betrayed by someone multiple times. And I wanted to tell you it hurts. It hurts deep. It hurts bad. And someone spoke some words to me. It encouraged me in those times. But I realized why it hurts so bad because I thought I needed those people. I thought I needed them. I thought I needed them to get where God was calling me to go. I thought I needed them to, to, to be who God was calling me to be. I thought I needed them for my career, for my joy, for my happiness. I thought I needed them. If you've ever been betrayed, big or small, by someone in church, by a friend, by a family member, I came to tell you today, you can win without them. 
You can win without them. I'll say it a third time if somebody needs to hear it. You can win without them. If you remain dependent on people to carry you, where only God can take you, you will never complete the journey. And that's where some of y'all are right now. That's where some of you are. I don't know if you heard me. I'm gonna say it one more time. Half you heard me. Let me say it again. If you remain dependent on people to carry you where only God can take you, you will never complete the journey. But once you realize that you can win without them, you can win without them. You don't have to be daunted when people walk away. You don't have to be heartbroken. You don't get that job. You don't have to have nightmares. That career path didn't work out because you can win without them. God will send you the exact people you need in the exact time you need them. You can win without them. And until you get that, you will not experience true freedom. You're linking your future with that person. You're linking your future with that opportunity. Well, if they had only stayed with me, if they were by my side, someone told me this and encouraged me. I want to speak it over you. God will not let anyone who left you limit you for where he's leading you. Let me say it again, because some of y'all are looking at Instagram. God will not let anyone who left you, who betrayed you, who hurt you, God will not let them limit you for where he's leading you. It's a natural part of the process. It's just a step in the journey so you can relax. You can be at peace. God knows what he's doing and you can win without him. This is a picture of our soft opening. This is a few weeks before the church launched, launched last year. And um, we had about 100 plus people on the team, but this is the people who actually showed up to set up, to tear down, to practice. And I was a little frustrated. This is probably the number of two-year-olds we have right now. Right? But I was like, God, you want us to launch a church? With, with, these are great people, and half of them are gone. Half of these people are gone. But I felt God saying, look, you, you don't need those people who left. I'm going to give you exactly who you need in that moment. And if you're fearful, if you're afraid, you need to know God is with you. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Through his divine power, you can win without him. You can win without him. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, we each have a sword. He drew it and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. We each have something. When we feel betrayed, when we feel on edge, when we're upset, something we lash out with. Maybe it's verbal. Maybe it's physical. Maybe, it's, it's, maybe you want to betray yourself. Simon Peter was hurt. He was, he was betrayed. He was annoyed. He struck out. The second thing I want to tell you is when you're betrayed, not if, I said, when you're betrayed, don't be bitter, be better. Because it's so easy to be bitter in those situations. I just see Peter. He's mad. He's hurt. He lived with Judas for three years. They traveled together, did miracles together, did work together. And you can see he's heartbroken. He doesn't know what to do. So he wants to lash out. But don't be bitter, be better. Betrayal can make you cynical. There's some church leaders I'm cynical over. Sometimes I look at other churches, I'm cynical. I can be kind of a butt because I've been hurt and I'm cynical. I'm gonna give you a little, a little test. If deep down you're like, I think I've forgiven that person. Here's a clue. You can know if you've forgiven them or not. When something bad happens to that person, how do you respond? Because if you've really forgiven them and something bad happens, you're like, oh, I feel for them. But if something silly happens, you say, that idiot, he deserved it. 
And I found myself saying that against people. I thought I forgave. I'm a Christian. I got to forgive them. But I, th- I thought I forgave them, God. And they did something stupid, something silly. And I'm like, serves them right. They hurt me. They deserve it. That's what Peter was doing. Do you treat someone who's betrayed you with condemnation or compassion? That's how you know if you've forgiven them or not. Peter went, condemnation. As you see, Jesus shows compassion. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? People try to use the life of Jesus as a reason to be um, maybe controlling or overpowering um, or, or, or to justify conflict. Don't be, this is the theological term, don't be an idiot. If there was ever a time Jesus needed someone to take out a sword and stop some, it's right here. He's about to get arrested. He's about to literally get lynched. He's about to get killed without a trial. And Jesus said, no, that's how it goes. He said, put your sword away. Jesus' last miracle, you know what it was? Publicly, he healed that dude's ear. He reversed the violence that we create. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. That's his final miracle. Number three, you got to count the cost. If you struggle to forgive others, remind yourself how much it costs for Jesus to forgive you. Realize for a second how much grace that God has allotted you. How much grace he's given you. If you struggle to forgive, if you find yourself laughing at someone, saying they earned it, they hurt me, they deserved it, they're going to get what's coming to you. Stop for a second, let the gospel sink deep, and you'll see. Let's pull these verses back, seven and eight. We're going to close here. We're going to close here. Then y'all can go to Cracker Barrel. Some of y'all are like, I'm going to Olive Garden now, fool. You've been talking about breadsticks. Don't do that. Don't do that. Verse seven, again, he asked them, we're going back. We're not, this isn't a new verse. We're going back to what we already read. He, he said, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they've said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Remember, he literally says, I told you that I am. If you are looking for me, let these men go. That's the gospel in its purest form. If you're looking for me, let them go. Another way to translate that, that phrase, let them go, is forgive them. Jesus literally said, if you're looking for me, let them men go. If you're looking for me, forgive them. Take me, forgive them. Take me to the cross. Give them freedom and unity and reconciliation with God. Do you understand what he did for you? Do you understand how much he suffered for you? Jesus knew you would mess up. Jesus knew you would have addictions. Jesus knew you would have sins. Jesus knew you would drop the ball. Jesus knew you would betray him and his holiness every single day, but he went to the cross for you anyway. That's love. That's grace. The gospel is this. That God loved you so much, he sent his son here to this place to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death, to die as a substitute for me and for you, to reunite us with God. Jesus Christ on that cross, he paid for every single sin you have committed or will commit. It's all paid in full. It's gone. It's done. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed than we would ever dare believe, but at the exact Same time, through his grace, we are more loved and accepted than we would ever dare hope. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And unless that truth sinks down deep, unless that penetrates and permeates every fiber of your being, you will not be able to forgive. 
You'll not be able to let go what that church did to you years ago. You'll not be able to forget what your husband did, what your spouse did, what your kids did, what that person you trusted did. When you look at someone and you want to see them pay, I challenge you to stop. And remember how much Jesus paid for you. Because Jesus could have looked at Peter, he could have looked at me, he could look at you and see the mountain of sin that you stand upon. And so you pay the bill. That's what we're doing when we, when we refuse to forgive. We're saying, you've amounted a debt, pay for it. Make it right. Jesus paid it all. He gives us the ability to look at those who wrong us, who hurt us, who knock us down, and to come to them with openness, with grace and reconciliation. When you're betrayed, how are you going to act? With compassion or with a spirit of condemnation? I challenge you, even if this is you right now, to look at the big picture. Don't be bitter, be better. Let it, let it strengthen you. And finally, you got to count the cost. Never forget the gospel. That's the only way we as a people can truly forgive. Let us pray. Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.